Hey, welcome back, guys. Today we are jumping into a fresh take on a worn-out genre. This is Cinematics. I'm Ryan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to Cinematics. Uh, Today we're going to be discussing the 2016 film Train to Busan, directed by... Sang Ho Young, and written by Sang Ho Young and Ju Suk Park. The DOP was Hyung Dok Lee, and uh, it stars Gong Yu, Yumi Young, Ma Dong Suk, Su An Kim, Yui Sung Kim, and So Hee. Uh, it's the sixth highest-grossing domestic film of all time in in South Korea. And it won 32 awards uh, from critics and film festivals around the world, mostly in the like horror genre stuff. Sci-fi, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Ryan, why don't you tell us the context of why you picked this film this week? Well, uh, I first saw it when it came to Netflix, uh, as I think a lot of people in North America can say very similar things to. And I remember it standing out and catching my attention as a newer movie that was coming out in a genre that was pretty much over. Like, I, I feel like there's three phases to, to genres in, in media in general, but film especially, um, where you get, like, the really serious sort of taking it seriously, doing it for real part of the genre where they're pushing, like, serious storylines and and all that kind of stuff. And then you get this phase after people are starting to get a little bit tired of the genre where they start doing like sort of spoofy versions or funny versions or or versions that are a little more lighthearted and have different themes to them. I would cite stuff like Zombieland and things like that in that regard. Um, and then when people start losing attention in that, you start getting this sort of era of like... And there's some overlap between these, but I think you start getting this era of people intentionally turning it upside down and doing new things with it and trying to like get different interest and different eyes on the same sort of genre and I think that like you see sort of this trend in a lot of the the sort of public interest in movies and this one came after all three of those had wrapped and you weren't really seeing any more zombie movies coming out um so it kind of got my eye and I I for whatever reason decided to turn it on and was really fascinated by it and how similar and yet different it was to all the other zombie films I'd seen at up to this point and and uh how just sort of quality it it felt as I was watching it so that kind of what was why I brought it on uh yeah as for myself I uh watched it for the first time for this podcast um which is happening more and more lately which is shocking I'm not watch, I guess <laughs> There are larger gaps in my film knowledge than I thought. I'm starting to find the holes, Mike. I'm finding the holes. Um, uh, but part of the reason I would have missed this movie is because I'm not a huge horror guy. And this is very much listed as horror, but I would argue is not a horror film. Uh, this is an action thriller, I would say. Yeah. Um, it It's, you know, the, um, the zombie part. I guess it's also because of what you've said, like the oversaturation of zombies in in popular uh, content, popular culture content, 
uh, has led like to the shock value of zombies being lessened to the point that like seeing even the the odd way they move, which is very felt very Korean zombie, the way they uh, kind of quickly move joints and have that kind of erratic movement. Um, that nothing, nothing about that is shocking. Uh, and the gore, the gross out stuff is nothing worse than you would see in a war movie or any action film, really. So arguably it's less. So I didn't think there was a whole lot of a few of the neck neck bites near the start. Yeah. Are yeah. Pretty that's true. Gruesome. There's a couple, but, yeah. um, yeah. So it, for me, it, it, uh, it, yeah, I, I loved the film or I liked it a lot. Um, love is maybe strong, too strong. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but it was a really strong film. Um, I, the pace was really, really good. I thought it, uh, did an excellent job telling a, uh, like, um, a constantly raising stakes action drama and, uh, with a, you know, like a father daughter story wrapped in there. And yeah, it was just a, it was a pretty good movie. And, and, um, yeah, I've been watching more stuff on Netflix from Korea these days. Uh, so I kind of have a, a general knowledge of a, some of their, uh, content and stuff they've, they, they're created. Uh, like I said to, to you off mic, it all seems to on Netflix come from one studio called red dragon. Um, I don't know if that's just like, I've never done research. I don't know if that's like the biggest, the only, the, like, I don't know what that means, why it's all from that one studio. Um, but they're all presented on Netflix in a similar way. They're like, the one who got a contract or something. Maybe. Yeah. But it has like, they have like intros that are, you know, the last scene of the show previous and it plays the first two minutes again. And then this episode starts and at the end of each episode, there's like it cuts, it like fades out, and then does like these freeze framey things. And it's every show, like whether you're watching a like a gritty crime drama or like a rom com show, they're all they all have the same format, which I because it's all from this one studio. And the other thing they seem to do is they tell one story and they do it in you know somewhere between eight to sixteen, sometimes even twenty episodes. And then that story's finished and they don't usually do like a second season or whatever. Oh, interesting. And okay. they, the other thing is the episodes are like usually around, you know, well over an hour. They're like an hour and 10 hour, 20 minutes long. So they're like, it's like 20 movies, <laughs> you know, or like <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's 20, it's a movie with, uh, it's 16, more what we would call the sequels. like, uh, prim- premier, uh, what, what's the word we have prestige for it now? Prestige television, television that yeah. we're just getting into now. Well, it is, it is, a. I mean, it's, we're very much into it, but it, it's, um, where the, the prestige American model was, you know, was 12 episode seasons was the breaking bad, the mad men. So that I think it was like 12 episodes per season. And then, but then hour long episodes. Yeah. And then they ran it, but then they ran it for five to seven seasons to tell their story. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And these ones seem to just get it done and in one, but for instance, uh, one of the really cool characters that I loved in this, um, in this story was played by, uh, Ma Dong Suk. Uh, he, he was in one of the shows that I really liked from 2014 called bad, bad guys, which is a, uh, in the similar vein to a suicide squad is like a cop fighting corruption needs to get bad guys that he put away in jail out to help him. Like they team up a bunch of people together 
and just like in this show, except he's like a, a a colder version of the character he plays in this. He plays like an incredibly tough brawler guy that leads the pack when they walk into places. And because as a feature of Korea, not being a place where there a lot of guns exist in the population, their their action sequences are always these epic fight scenes because the guns don't exist. And when guns exist, people stay further back and shoot at each other, hide behind things. So that's the, like... It's what, not the glorified, like, everybody's got a gun, America, shoot, well, shoot, yeah, pow, but, pow kind of thing. But, I mean, action sequences, because of that in America, take on a different thing. We're they now, do, yeah. We're used to the language in those, which is people take cover. They, they share little quips back and forth. They, re, like, duck out from behind the cover to shoot. The bad guy misses. They hit the bad guy or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. Whereas it's a little more uh, personal and close when you're Well, like, them. the Korean show is, like, that bad, <laughs> uh, bad guy. Uh, like they would walk into these buildings and it was like um, what was that Filipino movie uh, Raid it was like ra- like Raid style combat scenes on this television show that's why I was so blown away by it I was like I can't believe being that I kind of work in the fringes of television uh, how quickly they would have had to turn this or may- I just don't know maybe their schedule is entirely different than how we do things but these fight sequences I would like they looked like they would take a week to shoot type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would they would have one or two per episode sometimes. It was insane. It was absolute like it's you know it was like uh, you know our heroes were like five or six guys, and then it would be a group of twenty people on the other side, and everyone had weapons and there Just was intense like intense choreography. Yeah, and... it was insane. And so yeah, so there. Um, I guess all of that rambling is to say that. Uh, uh, the South Korean um, film and television content that they're putting out to the to the world through Netflix and stuff is is of a very high quality, and it's a of the countries to kind of check out. There, that they would be in the top two or three, I would say. Oh, there you go. That's uh, so one of the one of the other reasons I picked this actually is because like I know you aren't a zombie movie and a horror movie kind of guy, and I'm I'm not out here trying to get you into them at all. But I felt like this was a really sort of a really good bridge between like a full blown horror movie and something that I thought you would find interesting because it's got a lot of really drama and character driven components. And it's a, a lot more about like people in their journey and it fits into your, so I thought it would be something you would maybe appreciate. Well, and I, I guess, and I'll clarify, like I've seen lots of horror movies in my life and stuff. And like the seminal ones are usually seminal because they're awesome films in their own right. And the other thing I find most of them is they don't have all the things I hate in horror movies. And one of the major things is like jump scares and stuff. And this doesn't have jump scares. And I guess monster movies kind of do. And they're slightly different than horror movies like, uh, you know, possession and stuff like that. I guess horror movies has a broad genre of what it can be. But like... Um, Zombie movies, I guess, have never really been that. Like, I watched Kingdom, the Korean zombie show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and I watched that of my own accord <laughs> without being told. Uh, and uh, it's because I knew it wasn't going to be like. I mean, they do some jump scare stuff, but for the most part, it was like it, the thing with zombie movies is they're this similar to. Well, the thing with a lot of horror movies is is it's about the human dynamic. And the monster, whatever the thing is, just becomes an external force that's 
that's ratcheting up the stakes on the human dynamics. So it's just, it's pumping steroids into those uh, under the surface human dynamics that then come to the surface and then become the major issues as, as we see in even this film. Not, not to get like super crazy uh, uh, critical analysis and English degree on it here for a second, but I've had some interesting conversations with, with various different people about zombie movies. And there's this sort of idea that floats around a lot about um, one of the things that fascinates people about zombies, especially is that they're, they're us and that they're just, a version of us that is that that scares us that wants to kill us that we can't reason with and it it sort of becomes this external representation of like an internal human dynamic that we don't want to look at or deal with this sort of feral animalistic part of us that we have tried to tamp down pretty heavily uh which is also part of why i think they lend itself really well to that human drama in a sense because it's very like internal struggles and then external internal so that's really interesting to me, partly because he used the zombie word there to describe that. And I don't, because to me, and again, I'm not a huge horror guy, but I've, I've being a film guy, you then will have horror nut friends because it's like one in three with film buffs that one of them's a horror nut. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, guy who's seen every single John Carpenter movie. Yeah, th- well, or whatever, or like, uh, yeah, uh, can yeah do Hellraiser dialogue by memory and stuff. <laughs> um, but no, the uh, I, I as far as I understand, the there is the, zo- the in the zombie fan community, there is a big divide between what is is uh, like zombie is a Romero esque thing is the is the Living Dead from. The Romero esques that's he's the one who gave birth to zombies. As far as North American zombies, yes, he is the father sure. of. Sure. Okay. And then um and then to my knowledge, and this there's probably tons of other films that did it before this film, but the one that brought the infection or the sicko or the like fast zombie to market in the in North America was twenty eight days later was the first movie I remember. And that was like an infection from rage monkeys. (laughs) Well, see, and so it's interesting because to get historical for a second, the actual term zombie and the idea of what a zombie is comes from a Haitian culture um, where zombies were essentially dead people that were raised through the use of various magics to till fields and be slaves, essentially. Um, And from that... Romero created what would become a North American zombie and 28 days later then came later to um, to change it and make it uh, separate and different in its own right as well. Uh, I, that's the first I'd ever heard about that those origins. And there's something very, very, very interesting about a culture of people who came from slavery developing a mythological creature that is a mindless slave drone it it actually comes before before they were taken advantage of and made to be a colonized area the the, oh so like even older cultural predating the spanish getting to haiti yeah yeah it was a very very old cultural sort of story i'm thinking of modern day haiti and its roots of like oh yeah no french and spanish it was before colonial impact on the island oh interesting comes from okay cool so no um, um that's uh that's really 
Yeah, that's really it's, interesting. It's an interesting but, piece of, of zombie history uh, for those who might not know it anyways. But the, the the I guess part of the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I think there's a different value from what a zombie is to the film if it's a slow zombie versus a quick, fast zombie. Because the slow zombie is that, to me, that plays in like The Walking Dead and the Romero stuff and Shaun of the Dead and those type of um, zombie flicks. Um, those ones, that's just the, like, like I talked about, that's the slow, slow impending kind of march of time and the external forces of life crashing down on these people. Um, whereas the, with the, with the sicko type quick zombie thing, I am legend or the 28 days later, yeah, or the whatever, these, yeah. these fast zombies, then there's like a, there's like, um, that is that feral id, like uh thing that's that human seeking out because the other thing is they they get confused in this movie it establishes some rules which by the way uh when doing research and looking up things people had problems with in this film i think a lot of people got the rules wrong that the film establishes so we'll have oh, to go over that i would love to talk about that when we get there um but yeah, so I, we're, I guess I've been rambling on a lot about kind of background of zombie stuff, just kind of trying to get out what I know and ask questions. But yeah, this is a, this is a strong film, but I, the zombies in this one, to me, represent a bit of that Romero zombie as opposed to the sicko zombie. Even yeah, though, yeah. Even though they're, they're fast moving and everything. They have more of that kind of mindless um, drive rather than being the more aggressive engaged i don't know there, there's something more mindless about a romero zombie than there is about about the like infected i, I guess i meant more not the the infected here um they they aren't necessarily mindless because they they their their urge is to kill anything living and moving essentially right yeah they, so like, i i assume that they're they're after the like they're feeding but as soon as they kill somebody that somebody is infected no but it's alive, not so even but see because because it's an infection it's not a feeding they don't wait like they just bite to infect. The infect I guess. is yeah that the infection is trying to make them kill something to spread the infection. They're not doing it for sustenance. Like Romero zombies are doing it because they need they're, to. They're feeding. They're yeah. feeding, and so these things are doing it to spread the infection, which is it, it, it. It's a different level of. It's a different thing altogether, I think. But it. But these ones. Um, I, what I'm trying to say is even though they're the infection spreading the infection, as opposed to trying to hunt for sustenance, they, in the context of this film, it feels to me like they play the role of the, the, uh, the former or whatever, the, the, the Romero zombie, then they do more the sicko zombie. I, that, that's, that's interesting. Cause I think that sort of hits on something that I kind of think about the whole movie which is that it occupies this strange middle ground in in every way where it's it's like a horror zombie movie but it's also kind of like a family drama it's like it does a lot of things that connect it to north american zombie movies and a lot of those tropes and ideas but also brings a lot of its own culture into it you know it's sort of it's this interesting balance of two worlds throughout the whole thing that's that it seems to maintain really well i think yeah and yeah and to me like in this film to be clear the metaphor i think the zombies represent is is the the capital greed 
chickens coming home to roost more or less like these are um because this it as we get into the latter stages of the film it's indicated through a phone call that uh these guys moving some money around in like and buying and tearing down companies and reforming new companies and all the things that uh fund managers fund, is fund what managers do um i i would think uh yeah whatever by cutting back the scale of one project it led potentially led to this the outbreak is what the implication of yep. the film is so to me if the film is telling me that then the film is also telling me that these this like the central protagonist the world revolves around him as far as this story is concerned so these things these external force is his over like the all the mistakes he's made to this point in his life coming home to roost it yeah yeah for sure it's uh it's definitely a a, a film that has a lot of like discussion about class and there seems to be a lot of discussion about about capitalism as well and because you, it's hard to uh, separate those two sometimes in a lot of ways yeah but see uh, this is that brings me i guess to talking about um we wanted to i guess we wanted to talk some cine stuff first but uh, um I, i'm okay to get into this because uh, you've got me thinking about it now so if we wanted to carry this yeah we can yeah we... we'll tuck cine up towards the end or yeah. something uh stay tuned <laughs> <laughs> uh but um no the um so in my extensive watching of K-dramas uh, on Netflix, um, but no, but in seriousness, I've watched, I don't know, some, somewhere in the wor world of 10 to 12 of those series front to back. And um, through it, a lot of themes are like, and so I've had Korean friends in my life and stuff, and but we've never really, I've never been like, oh, tell me the like idiosyncratic natures of your culture and like, what like what little things do you guys do that I would find interesting or different to ours and um, and may I don't know maybe people do have those conversations with their friends but I uh, to I never had um, and uh, so most of what I've learned like I said about Korean culture has come from these shows and but I think that's one of the interesting well that's what art is supposed to do right it's supposed to re represent cultural touchstones um for for the from the artist and uh and television is very much supposed to represent somewhat the the times and the society and the things that are on our minds as a collective and that kind of thing um and so yeah and so but one of the things i learned through that is that there's kind of a hierarchy of like owed respect or due respect in korean culture um and class like the high class people sit at the top of that. Um, but age is also a very big thing. And that's represented in this film a little bit too. Um, and, and then I, like I was talking to you off mic, like it's almost like money and like a good job comes below both of those two things. And I was explaining the difference between like a lot, like being rich and having a good job is different in their society. It seems than class because class is that like for the western people that like uh that british monarchy aristocratic like blue blood thing so you're kind of, there you're there's a level of people that think they're above the rest in korea that are born into these like blue blood families that and they're all going to have be rich and have good jobs 
So they're already those things. And then, but there are people who are rich and have good jobs who came up from poorer backgrounds and they're never accepted by that high class, but they're, but the people below them still have to give them due respect. And, uh, and then there's, and then these shows always play like interesting dynamics between like a young successful person talking to like a poor old person because the young person in the Korean culture is still supposed to show that person respect, but then because of the age difference. So that might be technically what the top of the, the, this, uh, respect tree is. Um, (laughs) but it, but it still in these shows feels like an old person will defer to a person of a higher station, higher class. And, um, yeah. And so then, and then there's also in a lot of those shows, uh, there's a racial dynamic about being like, uh, paler faced people are like, who's in the higher class. And, and there's like, and they'll, they'll, their little jabs and stuff will be at someone who's a little darker skinned and stuff. And so just like, so, I mean, I, I only mentioned that because that's a very relatable thing to the, what the Western class system has broken down to well, be. It, it, and it's funny because it, it, it was very much a similar sort of thing to go to that like pale skin deal with like really old um, monarchy era sort of um, English culture too, is that like if you were a member of the elite of the aristocrat, you would of course have paler skin because you didn't go outside. You didn't work under the sun. You had a, a simpler, easier life as far as physical labor goes. And so the people who were then trying to be a part of that would would you know they would pat powder their faces and things to make themselves paler and more elite looking whereas the peasants were always tanned which is which different is, now but. but i also to my understanding that's also the story behind geishas and why the in japanese culture why they paint their face white is a similar thing the ones who were out tilling the fields and in the rice paddies and stuff were darker skinned folk because they worked in the sun and the rich people same with their um english culture there are english in the english system i think there was also um a weight thing or maybe that was through different cultures well, throughout well, the world too pe- people but like, who were yeah people, people if you were larger you were you were rich because you yeah. could eat or whatever and, yeah. and the rich people ate the less healthy foods like the white breads and things that were more processed whereas the poor people had like raw vegetables and yeah, like yeah. the shitty grains that were actually healthier for them um but one of the things I wanted to touch on, I guess, with, with the class thing that's going on here, like like you, I don't have a lot of historical and cultural insight into the full, uh, I guess, culture and society of, of South Korea. So I don't have as much info, but um, something that I thought was really interesting that I, I drew a connection between this film and both american zombie movies as well as korean uh is that originally like with romero who was kind of again like the father of like american zombies um his movies were full and overflowing with class commentary and this idea of um and of course some people will argue that that's not true but but it was fairly well known that he was kind of communist leaning George Romero and a lot of his movies and his zombie discussion are talking about zombies as like the working class rising up to overthrow the the aristocratic elite kind of deal and this film 
interestingly has a lot of really scathing opinions on those higher class fund people the monetary like our main villain is a completely unredeemable you know coo of a company yeah that's i i do um i agree with you uh that that that's definitely present in the old romero films and stuff um and i don't know that he was yeah communist sure but like in the socialist kind of side yeah he would he would have he would have been called communist by the america at the time but it was it was certainly more a socialist but he was just marxist would be a better way he was on the side of the worker that's all yeah well and and it it i've i've done some studying to say that he was he was somewhat a marxist fair enough no no but fair fair enough but like but that but that um that's you kind of had to be at that time (laughs) because <laughs> no one else was presenting those ideas or had well, presented yeah, those yeah. ideas but it, it was it was interesting and unique and it's a read that not a lot of people i think thought of, uh, as heavily about when they watched those movies well, but the 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 phrase that centered the lexicon in recent years as a more popular thing eat the rich uh i always thought that came from the romero like i thought that was like uh, something from romero but um i mean it it entirely could be i don't know i know i i talked about it in school as its own thing you know what i think i'm very wrong about that because now i'm thinking of things like back to like french revolutionary times and stuff and that would have been equally is apt to coming out of their mouths um yeah so and, i, I uh, yeah so that could have been a thing from throughout history or whatever but yeah. it, it was something that like i found really interesting about american zombie films and that it was an interesting connection i don't know that this movie necessarily is entirely just talking about class as far as like lower class and and like the full idea of the rising working class because these zombies aren't one of the big things about it, and you see it in like, uh, what was it, City, City of the Dead? No, what movie was it? Anyways, a lot of Romero zombies are like they're dressed like workers, they're dressed like lower oh, class, but they're not in this movie. They're they're stylish and they're like, well, they're whatever they like. They they did a good job of doing like whoever was going to be in the background. So you know, at one point, it's eventually the baseball team, and it's also the the military that's supposed to be waiting at that one station. It's also people dressed in various different levels of of clothing and yeah. i thought that was well, very realistic feeling I and guess. and some of the stuff that the director said about it was was that film in korea you have to go for realism and his example was that um someone playing a superhero coming out in spandex just wouldn't work in korea because it's not realistic so the biggest challenge he had faced with the zombies in this was trying to make them zombies that Korean people would accept. And covering them in really gory zombie makeup wasn't a, a thing. He, he was like, there's no way that would fly. So he had to make them stylish and still horrifying somehow. And that was why he focused on those insane, uh, and this one's a quote, but like bone-breaking kind of movement is because that was how he separated them heavily rather than overdoing it in makeup and feeling unrealistic. Um, so I just, uh, from all your co- talking there, I have a couple of thoughts. One um, is that uh, just thinking back to the genre stuff and, and it's hidden or ulterior messaging and stuff that, but that's been a, I think that's a genre thing for horror, but also lots of genre film, like film noir was showing the CD underbelly of like rich coastal society and um not just that but it that's one of the things that, and then like 
you know, but um, the Purge films, I, I've not seen many of them. But as far as I know, there's like this really interesting socioeconomic read of those films. Well, yeah, because the people who go out doing the purging are generally people who don't have as much to lose. And the people who hide in their houses, like the first movie is a really rich family who can afford all this stuff and have like leached off of their neighbors to get there locking themselves into right. this barricaded building yeah to... no i i yeah so and i knew that but then there was a but as far as i know they even built on that like they i've i, I guess there is a very intro even if they are slightly mindless uh gory films uh there's apparently like a through line thing that goes through all those films that it builds on itself and has I guess some interesting yet damning things to say okay. about our I, culture. I can't say much about the purge. I've only seen the first movie. Yeah. So. And again, I'm talking by <laughs> someone told me this at a party and I went, Oh, that's cool. And it got locked away and has just come out now again. Well, and go. so I've done no research into that myself, <laughs> but as far as I know, there's like, and, but for a lot of horror films, as far, as far as I know, when I talk to people about it, they go, oh, that's only this. It's really about this. And you're like, oh, okay. But that's, that's the nature of film, though, right? Is that it's, right, like, but it's always with, about something with different to different the genre people. film, it feels like, um, and we're talking horror, but there's more than that. But, but genre, like genre in general seems to be, it is the package, the medium by which you're slipping this message to the world. It, it's yeah, that's you're, kind you're, of its purpose. I, I, you're and making you're, something that's widely marketable and widely accessible to as many people as you can, and inserting some important commentary and ideas in a way that makes people feel like they're not being preached to. And when when genre films are bad, it's generally because someone's using those tropes but doesn't have that subtext. So they don't have they don't have the foundations to for those tropes because they yeah. don't have that subtext. They're just executing the surface level without really having an understanding of why it's there and what yeah, it's doing. Yeah, so they don't understand the whole foundation that everything's built on. So then they they but they just start building the second floor or the first floor or whatever without the basement, and it <laughs> it's garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's really interesting. Um, and I I guess to wrap that thought up, um. I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to make too many uh, necessarily assumptions about what the intention or or the, um, the connection again to like the North American versus world zombies. But I just I just found that that through line of of class struggle really interesting, and and I wasn't the only one. It was apparently something that the director was a little unsure of whether it was going to come through because he was trying to be subtle with it. Um, which is interesting because I didn't find it particularly subtle considering um, the COO character is pretty blatantly over the top awful in every way. Yeah, but um, and we'll get again, we'll get to it. I just I have a slightly different read on on that. Um, OK, but the, cool. I just remembered the other thing I wanted to say from your first uh, resp uh, thing you were saying that I was responding to Um was that in in my watchings of these other Korean shows, um, zombies seem to be a very fun subculture that gets explored, and I don't know if it's because it's an easy thing for people to do on camera, but they're they do like um, you know there'll be an episode where they'll go to like a haunted house type thing where there's like zombies that come out and attack characters, or they'll like. Um, 
it's uh, the show that just I think it's a 2021 show called Vincenzo on it. That's a Korean show about this Italian mob lawyer. Anyway, uh, but in it, he's like he's taking care of this building and he walks in one day to this like dance studio and there's a bunch of people like walking around like zombies and it's because one of the kids is making a movie or something and he wants zombie at least he's roped in a bunch of the people in the apartment building to be zombie extras. So, um, and they, and the other point was they kind of do have not quite the bone breaking thing you were describing. The director was going for, but they do have a very, like they'll be bent at the waist and then pop up like a Jack in the box, like right to perfect straightness. And like their heads, their heads turn like kind of like someone doing a slow version of that seventies dance move, the robot or whatever. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause it's like, it's like quick jerky motions. And, um, and it's see like, and it seems that that might be the Korean zombie motif kind of thing well i mean that, that... Uh, sorry one more thing and just kind of like the girl in the ring kind of that oh spider yeah, yeah walking yeah. like she's not necessarily a zombie but has like an undead she's an undead character so tangentially related to zombies at it's, the very least this connection where where there's like a human figure that is easily distinguishable as inhuman because of how they move and interact with the world but are also still human um, and I think that's something it's interesting to think about in the sense that uh, this was essentially the first Korean zombie blockbuster. This was the kind of the beginning of like the mainstream Korean zombie culture uh, as ours is coming to an end. They picked up on it. This is something that the director was like, I want to do something new and different that hasn't been done. And is and he's like, I want to do zombies because we haven't done it and I can market it to our our audiences in a way that is our own and it almost seems like having heard that it almost seems like it spawned a a new movement there of of that kind of yeah yeah so i i don't know yeah that's really interesting because i i didn't i didn't know that this was that like a launching pad for zombie st- culture in in uh in korea but if it i can't was, say I mean, subculture wise if there wasn't a subculture of people who love you know american zombie movies but this was right. the first like big korean zombie yeah that's film. cool because it, it uh i mean knocked it out of the park then for sure because this is uh this is as far as and i've again i've admitted i haven't seen a ton of zombie movies but i'll, I'll say i've seen a handful upwards of six in my life that's pretty and good. this is uh this is up there as far as zombie films i've seen there you go uh, we should maybe touch on some cine stuff here sure, now, absolutely. and then we can move on to a little bit of story and characters, dealios. Um, and for the most part, like I, I had, a, I had a few things to say, I guess about about the cine. I mean, first of all, the sound design, I was really impressed with in this movie. Um, there's there's some scenes where it doesn't stand out as much, but there were some really pivotal moments that the sound was really really well used. Uh, particularly when they first get off the train after they've gotten to, I don't remember what the station name is now, but they get off at their the first middle, station. That middle station. Yeah, yeah, the middle. And they're, they walk in, and it's like this really long segment of them walking through this empty train station, and the only sound is just like their footsteps. And it's just like this marching sort of like people walking in silence that was super creepy and eerie and really, really built up that kind of suspense before you find out of course that the military they're meeting is all just zombies already yeah 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 uh i mean and that was one of those uh moments in the film that i was very much like um 
that was one of those ones that bugged me as it felt a bit weird because I was like, how would all these people having seen what they just saw on this train and then they're getting to a station where there's supposed to be a military effort, not be weirded out when the doors open and there's nothing, there's like no one greeting them, no one like taking their temperature a la COVID. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, arguably they were weirded <coughs> out. It was commented on that, that it was strange that there was nobody there and things and nobody really wanted to get off the train. But then the like COO character who's been commanding everybody around barrels off and starts running and everyone's like, oh, okay, I guess we'll just follow him. And then they see the military trucks outside. So they're like, oh, maybe we just have to. It just, uh, I just, I guess I, it, it felt like people didn't, have enough caution in that moment and and that is one of my only real like um, that's fair yeah comments about any story stuff neg in a negative manner i thought the rest of it was pretty strong and there wasn't too many plot holes or anything um but as far as, as uh, sound design um yeah the um oh sorry <laughs> i don't know why i'm bringing up another negative but it's because it's from sound so they established the rule like where he bangs on like the zombies when they're in the darkness will get attracted by sound. Yeah, yeah. He uses the phone. He uses some other things. Um, he throws something. And I think one of the things he just bangs on the clothing uh, shelf. Yeah, yeah. And it attracts them one way and then they can get by. But then there's the scene where they use the clo clothing rack as a means to like escape past the zombies but you're telling me like a pregnant woman and a child and all those people got up there without making of like a thud sound and it's only slipping on the paper getting or whatever the head he slips on the headrest and yeah. falls yeah uh, I, I don't know I, I i guess i just i bought it because of how slow they were moving it it, it didn't irk me but i i can, that, I can see one, where you're getting that at. one as far as like be only because they pointed like they literally used those things as a, a means to make sound as a distraction five minutes before it that stuck out then stuck out to me that i was like i realize he struck it to make that sound but i still feel like because the old woman is with them at the time as well yeah so they have yeah. like a a 70 year old woman and they have like a eight-year-old kid and both of them are able to get up there fairly easily without making too much sound, even I mean, like a gruff grunt or whatever. Assistance from from the larger people who were there to help them, I guess. I, I yeah, <laughs> I mean, and uh, Ma Dong Suk, I think was his name. Um, yeah, he. I mean, uh, he must only be about five eight or something because he asks. There's a he asks the guy his height in the bathroom later and the guy says five nine and he's standing beside him and <laughs> yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't i don't know the re i don't know the joke there i don't know the cultural joke they're making necessarily because he's standing beside him and he says how tall are you and he proudly says five nine or something like that yeah i mean i kind of took it as a sort of semblance of like um just growing and being strong and well um Oh, I thought he was, and, I thought he was, I don't know. I, I, I thought yeah. it was a thing about his height and he was, I don't know. Anyway, but, um, so he's, he's a, I get, he's a small guy, but he's built like a, like he's very broad shoulders and being a bigger, bigger guy myself, I'm just saying getting up on that clothing rack, there's no way I don't make sound. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. That, uh, that could be argued. I didn't, uh, I didn't bump on it, but I can see why you would have. <laughs> uh, but otherwise I thought a lot of, I thought of a lot of the sound design 
helped build it. The tra- uh, train sound with the high screeches of going through things and that in and out of tunnels. That all st- stuff all worked and felt right, as well as the um, lighting design going in and out of tidal- tunnels yeah, was really yeah. cool. I presume they shot this on a set. So it was actually there was a mix. A lot of it was shot in a studio with a train that had like the removable walls and they had so they could have camera outside they had like uh big video screens for for the uh passing yeah like we've used them on hallmark before of like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. multi-video no, or whatever. yeah no so i understand the, and um and so then had, there was yeah. some segments where they had a it looked like they had a train out in like a field somewhere that the, for like the tighter stuff where they were seeing and they were shooting inside this like sort of train car set up in a field. That's interesting. I I wonder. And on a station, there was a couple of moving trains on stations too. There was a lot of really crazy camera rigs and green screen rigs on yeah. like moving trains and stuff. Because the the part of the cine that impressed me the most was that I didn't like I didn't feel too claustrophobic and I didn't feel too like everything felt fresh and you felt claustrophobic when they needed you to and when it was important to i felt like for being in a train and things with all the tight spaces well, but mean, like uh, it, sure like i understood the confines of the train but what i mean is i guess i can't divorce divorce myself from working on film sets and to work in an actual train car with that there's no flyable walls there's no removable ceiling there's no maybe removable floor to get a like low dolly or something in um there, like without any of that i don't know like what i'm saying without any of that it would be really crappy to shoot this film I yeah, would think. yeah yeah and it would be and very difficult and so it doesn't surprise me that they had that the fact that they shot without that coming in and out of stations that makes sense i don't know what that middle of the field stuff i'm racking my brain to think what so that could have been there was a couple of like when they first uh when they when the zombie thing first starts becoming a big deal on the train and uh, our main character is off looking for his daughter. He walks. He's walking down the train and sees um, sees the zombies coming. Turns around, sees his daughter, runs and picks her up and carries her through. Uh, I don't think all of that was shot in like this field part, but I think that at least some of it was done in such a way that it's meant to sort of like you can see grass outside and you get that natural light and things. But um, and I think it was some of it was for that. Um, it didn't look like much was actually shot there based on what footage and, and behind the scenes stuff I saw. Um, it looked like it was mostly an in-studio thing with some instances of being elsewhere. Yeah. So Probably I, when engaging with exterior components as well. Yeah. And I guess we like with how we've gone into great depth on with Cine on certain uh, shows we've talked about, um, I guess I've shortchanged this show a little bit because I didn't do as much research um, but part part of that was because it just felt uh, uh, fine. It felt natural. It worked. I I knew it was a stage, and so the tunnels, entrances, and exits were pretty seamless and flowed really well. And I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't tell they were fake, uh, which is what yeah, you're it, trying to do in that motion it, moment. It does a really good job of of just making you not distracting you with the uh, camera work and things. Yeah. And the camera work, uh, you know, when capturing the fight scenes, I thought did it, even though it did a little, like it had to by the confines be closer than I would like to watch a fight scene. Um, but it was, it, as we, the one I, the 
we always use Jason Bourne, like Bourne, yeah, kind of yeah. Bourne identity feeling fight scenes. Um, or supremacy, I guess, is where they started. <laughs> but um, that whole Paul Greengrass thing, um, this does a little bit of that, but it all, like... It has to, but by, by the uh, by that nature, that Snowpiercer feeling of coming up train car by train car, and you know it does that really good motion where he's talking to his daughter and she says what car they're in, and then they look and they see the number nine, and then you go, okay, they have to make it four cars, and you're like, great, okay, and um, uh, I'll, I'll like I just I thought this movie did a really good job um, building its world, and the camera work was integral in that. And part of the camera work uh, that I liked the most was that I didn't really notice the camera work that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally fair. And and to be honest, part of the reason I did a little more digging into this one is because I I was so fascinated with the train and the world and how it was all set up that I was really curious to see which what ways they chose to set it up and how they how they wanted to. And so it was cool to see that they had kind of a mix of both. Like the in-studio, they have the opportunity for the dollies below on the flyable walls so you can kind of dolly across and stuff. Uh, but they did do a lot of shooting where it was just an enclosed train. And I saw this really cool rig they had set up where they basically, it, I mean, what it looked like was a Dana dolly on track wheels that they had in the luggage compartment so they could dolly up and down the center of the train. And it looked like it worked really, really well. Uh, and the shots that it was set up for... Uh, like you wouldn't have even like you didn't see any bumps or anything like it looked really really well shot so I think it's almost famous um, the Cameron Crowe movie and they um, they spend a lot of time on a bus in that movie which movie is this? Uh, almost famous oh okay it's like not about zombies at all but the reason I'm pointing it out is because they hid a track in the ceiling like uh, um, over the the hallway between the seats on each side or whatever the walkway um, they hid a track in the ceiling and so it's always present. You see it at the end, like you see it in the top of the frame when you're at either extreme of the bus, the front or the back. But what it was, was an, uh, like a inverted Dana Dolly rig right, okay. that slid up and down and then they could, you know, so they could smoothly um, get from each thing. But it was all, you were always then in the middle of the aisle. And what I liked about this movie is I thought they did a good, uh, they, they mixed it up enough where we're kind of, not POV, but we're like over the shoulders behind them. But then we would also jump over to one of the sides of the train and stick to that side and then be on that Dana Dolly, which is... Well, and by having track wheels on the sides, you've got two pipes yeah. just across. So you can go the whole width of the train, essentially, then with oh, your you're camera. Oh, saying, you're saying like that. I thought you were talking talking lengthways. They yeah, had... yeah, it is lengthways. So it's front to back running with the track wheels on the luggage compartment so that it could dolly up and down to the end right but it's riding on two sets of pipes so you can put the camera anywhere across the oh no yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, no sorry yeah okay um but yeah so i just i thought they did a really good job and i thought um you know there was some really cool shots to help set the show up um, the fire reflection shot in his car window or when he's in the bathroom and they do that pan from like one mirror to him to the other mirror yeah. in that bathroom. And it just lands with like three of him in frame. I yeah. love that. Which is, and that's cinema language for what I think the going to be is going to be that th th theme is like the, the center, like the, the protagonist we're following. And then the two versions of him that were, we're presented with and he has he's at a crossroads of which one he's going to become and you get so and those to me is the coo character 
and then the uh, soon-to-be father character. And so those are like the soon-to-be father character is like the idealized father character that he kind of at one point in his life wanted to be but has long forgotten about. And the CUO character is who he's on track to become. And so then he's, and then this is, this is a crossroads. This is a, this is the him. Yeah. He's kind of sitting in the middle of it. That That's really interesting. Um, we might as well talk about some character stuff then being as we've started on that. I don't have a lot to say more about the city really um, specific other than it looks super nice. Uh, but that, that idea was really interesting because I didn't, I didn't read it in the way of, I didn't pick up on the, the two different paths represented by those two different sets of characters um but there i i definitely found it interesting his his position and sort of like his 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 choice essentially of where he wanted his life to go i was curious how you felt about that because one of the one of the problems i did have was that i kind of felt his flip was way too quick where where he's we were sold on his character from the beginning as being like big bad financial fund manager guy who is a bad dad and is never around and has an ex-wife and like all these things set him up as this sort of like person who doesn't care about anybody but himself and his job and then we get his kid literally say that to us you don't care about anyone about yourself that's why mom left and then as soon as any sort of challenge comes where he has to rise to it and care about somebody else he helps other people like there's oh, i see, didn't see a moment where he had to the the switch to me is in the in that middle station when he can't get to his daughter and then madon sook elbows the zombie out of the way yeah because to that point his daughter's been in trouble obviously but his daughter to that point has been in trouble but he can reach her yeah and that's the first time he's helpless to help her and then the community he's a part of uh unwillingly or reluctantly this community that's formed by these passengers on the train they come to his aid and to me that's the that's the switch or that's the that's the moment in which his priorities begin begin to change i would agree with that i just still felt like it was kind of and then and then there that's that switch is cemented when that character holds the glass door open when he's the last one and throws the jacket over the zombie and gets away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, and that mirrors his decision. We saw when first presented with the zombies is that he closes the glass door uh, on that true. character. Yeah. So then a character that he's, so this is a character that he's wronged in a big way has now twice helped him out. And, um, and I think that draws him to the like that paternal father instincty side, and then and then he realizes because that they have that conversation about sacrifice and blah blah blah, and that's not. I mean, it becomes literal in the sense that they all sacrifice themselves for their loved ones, mm-hmm. but it it's also you know it's talking about that the it's talking he's talking about fatherhood and your priorities, right? He's talking about if your priority is work and all that stuff. And he sa- I think even get lets him off the hook a little bit by saying like one day your daughter will see your sacrifice and understand. Now that becomes, um, 
it has a dual meaning because later she won't understand why his her dad jumped off the back of the train until she gets older and understands the sacrifice he made in that moment. But it's uh, it also goes to the fact that like he sacrificed his relationship with his daughter to give her a better life, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but so that is the COO character who has no one probably in his life and has, uh, because he's like through his actions in the film, he's a person that we see has probably pushed everybody out of his life because he'll step on anyone to get a, to get an edge, to get a HUD, to get. And now that's all he knows how to do is step on other. Like, exactly. Like when he shoves that, uh, the guy who's been helping him and uh, help, uh, agreeing with him and getting like the things he wants done, that uh, train conductor, or not conductor, the, the train attendant. And he tells him, oh, yeah, the coast is clear. And, the, and then shoves him into the zombies so yeah. he can get away kind of yeah. thing. Like literally pushing the only person he had on his side to the wolves so that he can get away. So, yeah. So, um, so like the fatal flaw of our hero character, um, Suk Wu, is that he is he's um he's he's cynical and apathetic to the world he he has no like he cares about no one but himself and that that's his fatal flaw as we were presented with him at the start of the film and then he's like i said he's he's provided the de- the devil on and the angel on his shoulders and that's almost visually represented when they first are presented with the zombies and uh He's waiting to close that door and hesitating, not knowing whether he should or not, because those people are scrambling to get there. And then over his shoulder, the COO guy literally is it's an over the shoulder shot on his left shoulder. I think, <laughs> yes. And it's him going, close the door, close yeah, it, slut, yeah. shut the door. And Being swung um, to a different uh, down one path. Yeah, exactly. And then equally like once he, they're in, there's an over the shoulder shot when he says, you like I, i'm pissed off you closed us the door in our face or whatever and then he turns and then they over faces his other him. shoulder kind yeah of thing, yeah and so i was like oh and so i thought that's something the director was trying to tell us uh at one of the youtube videos i watched with people talking about this the guy used that uh it's like i think it's a, a first nations allegory but it's like a young person is asking this older person and he talks about these two wolves that within the each every we all have and then uh well which which wolf is going to win the good wolf or the bad wolf depends on which wolf you feed more and that plays this the same devil angel thing who's going to win it's the one you listen to so it's the one you give energy to the one you've uh look to and at that point up until that middle point of this film he's making decisions that are saving his daughter but at the expense of her opinion and respect of him and and other people around him as well. exactly and and then after that he's he's making decisions to save his daughter but not just his daughter the whole community and he and so that's that why four car push yeah so his daughter and also the pregnant woman yeah and and that well yes and right a lot a lot of the decisions that he makes from then on are about whole community as opposed to just him or just him and his daughter um because i think you can make the argument that he's making good decisions on behalf of his daughter at the start of the film yeah they're yeah. just it's just yeah it's object or subjectively good decisions you know yeah in yeah, his yeah. mind he's doing the right thing some and people I think, might not agree. i think you like um with how we all just we all just went through a pandemic and how we all deal with infection i think you can make an argument that like right up until 
um, right up until the zo- they let the zombies in um, to the uh, the bad COO character, and he hides in the bathroom. Until that point, that COO character is also making decisions that I think a lot of people would make and are making in like in COVID times, like uh, let these people in. Well, how do we know they don't have an, aren't infected? Like, yeah, yeah. We're not doctors. It's just safer to like, let them just safer to not. And, and this is different, like not letting uh, someone into your establishment or house or something during COVID wasn't tantamount necessarily to killing them. Yeah. Whereas this would be. So that's yeah. a di- it's a different thing. So th- there's obviously different stakes and therefore his decision is is um, on a different impactful. moral standard. Yeah. And it's it's uh, and it's far worse. But. I think I think as with all good villains there's I think the viewer can re- both understand and relate to his motives and worldview. Yeah, I mean I certainly felt like I understood and and didn't I di- I didn't think he was entirely unredeemable or unforgivable in the beginning. It wasn't until um literally the scene where they lock them out at that point i started wondering about about him as a character and then he gets worse as you go along but yeah well when he because he gets so he starts getting more and more desperate and because he doesn't have any like love or community in his life to fall back on for support he then starts pushing which whatever support he has away and out of his way or to step over them to like he he throws three or four people in the path of zombies to get a to get a stepper further than they are. But also, there's an argument for like he's he's collected a little posse in that in that uh, let uh, uh, don't let them in part because he all the people that are in that train car with him he's like mob mentalityed into this state of of forcing them out. He uh, there's this great shot actually, or at least I really appreciated it, where he he um, except for so he. Who's like yes. the only one who yeah, stands yeah. as like she's the young person standing up to an old person, which again goes to that Korean dynamic, and why another reason why the people in the car would be more prone to listen to him than her. Than yeah, her. Yeah. I, I thought it was really interesting though that there's after he he tells them they can't keep them, and there's this sort of silence where they sort of turn and they're like appealing to the group, and and somebody yells, uh, uh, "What are you waiting for? Get out of here!" or something like that. And the camera sort of is like looking at this group and it like starts panning around as though it's trying to find whoever the person was who said the thing, uh, which I, I and on a small side note was just something I thought was a really cool like build of that kind of mob mentality that he's created of like there's a mob of people and you can't really tell who's who's saying what anymore. They're all just like, no, you have to go. But it's also it's also that comment on these um, like because that attitude is like blown up to uh, and running a government is is what we would call tyranny often and that tyrannically type thing so like his most like advent supporters and like his the people who have been with him in the in our in the world that this movie creates from the very start of the world to the end of the world mainly that security guy that works for the train so like they get connected in our world with the homeless guy and then from there, they they're kind of buddy buddy the whole rest of the movie, yeah. 
until he put literally pushes him into the path of the zombies. And I think that's that that's a great social commentary about like what these like dictators and stuff will do too, right? Well, you, and that you scene... can be, you can do you can do heinous, terrible things for these people, and the second that it's to their advantage to screw you over, they will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was it was great too. One of the and again, it's just a small little character note that was kind of related, but I thought it was interesting that like he's he's sitting there in that in that train telling everybody how they need to do things and what they need to do and he's created this little mini tyrannical sort of government structure where he's the leader of this pack of people who are just hanging out in the train. Um and I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it. I didn't really pay attention to it, but the second time I watched it through I noticed that like He's constantly throughout the whole movie telling people what to do and then not doing anything. Like he tells them like, oh yeah, we got to kick them out. And then he sits there and waits for them to kick them out. And then he's like, oh, we got to block that door. And then he sits there and lets them block the door. And then he's like, oh, we got to block the other one too. And then he sits there and lets them block the other one for him. Like he's constantly just that kind of like so wrapped up in his own world of like used to just giving orders and then watching them happen. Which was But like, they they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They follow, him. and I think, but the, then that's another thing that I—I I mean, I don't know if they're going for this, but I, it's in a lot of movies like this, and in a lot of movies where, you know, where there's a group of humans trying to survive together, um, the first person who acts like a leader becomes the leader by yeah. default, kind of thing. People um, are looking for guidance and someone to step up, and if someone steps up, people are willing to follow. And, and I mean, you know, it's unnatural confines and different, but like that game Survivor or whatever, that TV show Survivor. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it came on like 30 years ago or whatever, I watched the first <laughs> few seasons, and that was the thing. Like, there would be these people that would step up. The thing was like the in the early seasons, the person who stepped up, if you then your team lost a challenge, everyone then blamed the person who stepped up. So then it was this whole thing about like, if you had the like gumption to step up, uh, you you potentially could like direct people all around and blah, blah, and you could be the boss of this little world. But then also you're going to be taking the heat for mistakes that happen. Um, but then eventually people figured out how you can do that, but then pass the heat on oh, and, yes. uh, and blame, like find some person <laughs> to blame and, and ostracize. And, uh, and you constantly had to have these like sub people that you could constantly like throw under the bus. So then it, it's kind of what this movie's talking about. But again, it's more conf- like it's artificial constraints. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah, but it still fits that same kind of. Sort yeah. Of sense. And it's, yeah. it's that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's uh but as far as as far as like theme and story and stuff, that's like for me, it, it all comes down to that triangle of like of um, like adulthood or something or like I don't think it's a masculine thing. I think that very well could have been a woman in all three parts. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, but like it's just this adulthood thing, and it's and it's um, it kind of is that like. It's like, it's like a pyramid but like but it's it's about a pure yes it is a pyramid thing but it's about a it's about a prior like it's about where you're going to put your priorities yeah, as, a, so, as a man so, and, and so are you going to devote time to your family and and love and and that kind of thing and and uh, and those personal relationships or are you going to devote all your time to this other thing and I'm, there's a happy medium obviously where you can have success and a family um well, so that was, that was, I guess, what I mean. Because there's a thing they do in, in video games sometimes when you're designing characters. But also there's the pyramid of, like, uh, jobs. And it's like, oh, fast, easy, 
uh, or like fast, good, and cheap, or like you know, you're strong, whatever. You you and yeah. there's like the dot in the middle, and you can you pick which segment of this triangle you want to occupy your space in, but like you can't have all three of them at their maximum capacity. You have to make sacrifices in different places to yeah. balance it the way you want. Yeah, and and you know, and and that from the dad side of thing that's represented through the anecdote of the of the school song that the the daughter doesn't sing because her she wants to sing it for her dad but her dad's not there and then which i love that they wrapped around to that at the end again yeah it was because then to me because then having him made the decision halfway through the film to be the doting father for the first time and actually like um put her first and and that kind of thing in his life that it was um he was she, he was there and so she could sing it yeah so he he was present in her life for the first time so she could sing it even though he wasn't physically present when she sang it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i thought that was a nice meta wrapping of that metaphor yeah yeah it was uh it was i don't know one of one of the things i i found really interesting about this is how like powerful of a character story it, it really was like I can't think of a lot of other, a lot of zombie movies that have made me uh, emotionally well up a bit watching them. You know, um, I definitely felt tears a bit at some points in this movie. So that's something I thought they r- did really, really well, which I think um, is a reason to look at this movie from a filmmaking standpoint. Is character building in the first act? Um, you know, American films and you know other films do this as well, where they you know, they introduce you to if it's a thing where it's going to be on a boat or a train or a plane, you know, there's the if it's a plane, we're in the you know, we're in the airport and we're at the gate and we see like a, maybe a dad give a stern word to a child or something. And we go, OK, well, that guy's a douchebag or something. He's being an asshole to his kid. And then like you get like a caricature. Uh, yeah. Like, so they give you these crew. like little nuggets that tell you the audience. It's like a cheat code to know what that who that person is as a like two dimensional character. Um, but it it then kind of feels two dimension. And I don't know. I, I guess I should have for this podcast because it's the point. But I I didn't I didn't watch it enough to really understand why this felt different to me. But and maybe it was because and I've made this point to some other people with foreign language films, because you have to read the dialogue to understand it. You then are naturally more engrossed with like some you catch more little things than I, I think you sometimes miss listening to an English language. Yeah, movie I agree. Because an English language movie, because you're hearing words you know, your mind will sometimes drift and you'll look at something in the background or you'll look at something else. Whereas in a foreign language film, you're forced to like read those read those subtitles and then therefore you're like you're and eventually you kind of are able to take in the whole screen with the subtitles as you get more into the movie. Um, but it, I think because maybe because of that and, but I, I think it also is in the, the intelligence of the writing. They give you a few little hits with these characters, but they don't just give you good things about these characters. They kind of try to give you a little bit of depth to each character. So like, you know, the Suhi and the baseball player that she likes, but is too shy to talk to her or whatever, ask her out or whatever that dynamic is like that, that gives you this whole little thing it's it's not like they're feeding you in that introduction they're not feeding you a two-dimensional cutout to tell you who the character is they're just 
showing you people existing on the train is how I felt watching it. It wasn't yeah, like maybe were... that was it. Maybe it, it because it didn't f- feel that vignette that these these other movies sometimes it feels very forced even well, and I think it might be also because they left the POV of our character. It's not like our character walked by those people and that's why we saw that. We got a full, like, here's the train car, here's the people in it. And yeah. we get to the end, then and he they, steps in. Because we kind of leave the protagonist and his kid and we just travel around and we're like, now let's meet the players. Now that yeah, we've arrived yeah. at the theater, now let's meet the players. And uh, and I thought that was really like it was just a cool and it it literally did to me feel like just this kind of earnest snapshot of like people living their lives. They didn't feel flat. They didn't feel like they were being caricatured to serve a purpose. They just felt sort of like people who were doing what they were doing. Well, the like the first on screen death we see. Well, I guess technically the one out the window that the little girl sees as the train just pulls away. There's that like tackle. Yeah. I guess that's technically the first death we see. Um, and then, but the one, so the girl, uh, so the, 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 the attendant girl that breaks on the train. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm going to get to why that I at first thought that was a mistake because of the rules that this establishes, but I think it, I understand anyway, why it's not a mistake. Um, but, uh, so the steward or the, or the, the attendant that she kills first, uh, um, we get two interactions with her. We get that one where she says, like, she says like, someone's in, I, I need help. Call medical. Someone's in trouble. So we're like, okay, a good attendant, someone who's dutiful and takes care of themselves. And then the other thing we get is that weird little thing where um her boss who's the the scarf is the scar- he's like your it. scarf and she has to for some reason it's like in the middle of her collar but then she has to like shove it up under one side of the collar yeah it it, it looked like it was meant to be styled as like a side uh, scarf where it sure goes... uh, uh, like i didn't get that it looked more natural the way it was than the side yeah, one. i, I but, imagine that that's our but, lack of but either no no for sure but that but either way so that was like um that was our introduction to her and then as far as i know the next thing we see is that murder um and i thought but I cared about her. I was like, ah, oh, bummer. And yeah, it was, yeah. but that was enough. Uh, and I mean, but I wasn't heartbroken by it. Like I was able no, to move past it, but, like, but it, it was interesting because we didn't get much from that character is what I'm saying, but it was enough that I cared that she died, but it also then sets your expectations because then you, as you get to, then they, as they get you to know more about character, each character and then kill them off. Um, and they do it in a way where they don't, tell you about a character in the next season they kill next scene they kill them off like uh, when i figured out that formula in saving private ryan it ruined that film for me yeah yeah um, and, and a lot of north american films where you're like oh great i had this wonderful character moment with this guy i guess he's dying next scene yeah and i and i think that's a horror trope too right like yeah horror and action and like like the sci-fi like yeah. alien oh does it well and like, things like i that. mean the the cliche that they'll use for like an old co- like a buddy cop film is i'm two two weeks away from retirement or something yep, right yep, they, yep. like that's a joke that gets referenced in stuff because yeah so then the stakes of that person then dying when they're so close to like not doing it it, it's meant to make you care but it's it's like so artificial and formulaic that it doesn't really make you care yeah yeah but they they didn't do that in this no and so yeah so i cared when you know i cared when the the young lovers died i cared obviously when the expecting father died i i mean that was a killer 
scene and also that's like that was the another scene naming. that might be actually the scene where he uh where our protagonist officially makes it like that's the true defining like i've made the decision i'm now fully on your side not the uh, not the coo's path yeah, yeah i'm fully fully on your path is that final moment and that his sacrifice in that moment and take care of my wife and kid unborn child and um yeah and and very interesting yeah yeah um but uh yeah so the i think um story-wise i think it does a very very good job and oh sorry and the the us uh, the old lady sisters yeah yeah yeah. so that is a beautiful relationship but the other thing they do is really interesting is when the first time we see, one of the first times we see them um we see them reacting to the news of the outbreak and them going and then them saying back in our day they would have just locked them all up and re-educated them yeah yeah which i think is like hilarious but also like is that old person that out of touch with maybe how to handle things in a way but like also they're kids these days also but also in a very real way if they were to lock up all those those people causing problems that solves the problem it does literally in this case (laughs) but but uh so uh you know so and then um but i wanted to ask you about that moment specifically and what you thought it meant so the one sister sacrifices her seems to either give up or in some fashion sacrifice herself and then the other sister becomes an agent of chaos because of that. So how did you see that that moment? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the way I read it is that, I mean, first of all, the, fir- the one sister's at the back of the line of people trying to get in and realizes she's not fast enough to make it through before the zombies get in. So she's essentially standing there to distract and sacrifice herself so the door can be closed, everybody else can get through, and people are safe. Okay, but she has like a moment where her and the protagonist lock eyes and he's like, I'll, I'm going to come grab you and get you to safety. And she's like, don't bother. It, it I, felt like it, don't bother more than like, don't risk it. I don't know why. See, I, I read it as don't risk it. I read it as like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the one who gets more people killed trying to be saved rather than just being the one who takes the hit and saves all these other people. I guess I kind of felt like that because then that's, I guess what I interpreted that smile to her sister was like, I've had a good run (laughs) kind of thing. Like, yeah, I think there's a bit of that too. You know, I think there's a bit of like, I'm and she, cause she's the one that's a little more hobbly when she walks and things too. Right. So I think she knows where she's at in life and, and she's accepted uh, the fate that she has and is trying to do good for the people around her at the same time. So is it grief or is it something else that causes her sister to become that agent of chaos and open the door? I think it's grief and anger. I think I think that she's part of it. So the way I read it is she becomes an agent of chaos, opens the door and lets the zombies in because she's mad that all of these people are yelling and arguing and fighting and not helping each other there the if if they had just let this group of people in there would have been no issue they all would have got in the door would have been closed everything would have been fine but because they were fighting and arguing and they couldn't make figure out and like they wouldn't let them in she loses her sister and then as she's sitting there grieving over the lost people all she sees is all of these people yelling at each other telling people to sit down disrespecting each other and just generally being 
kind of shitty. And she's like, no, you know what? I don't, my sister's sacrifice, you don't deserve to be saved to have lost her. So she goes and opens the door as like almost a punishment against these people who caused her sister's death for, in what her mind is not a valid reason. Um, my buddy Jung Soo, uh, who I went to film school with, uh, was from Seoul and he told me one of the few things he did tell me about Korean culture was that there's a big emphasis on community and that, and, and community, um, uplift, uplifting community right. and doing things for your community is a very like noble endearing trait to, in the Korean, um, population. And, uh, and that is evidenced a little bit in some of the stuff I see, but I, I'm only aware of it partly because of Jung Soo telling me that. And, um, and, but I think that is part of the point and I, it might be slightly like to, to younger people, it might be an older, old fashioned kind of value. Maybe, maybe it's still a popular, I, like I'm talking out my yeah, side yeah, of yeah. my mouth here. I don't really know. Um, but I, because th- that's why that moment strikes. So, uh, what you're saying is them, her seeing the the dispute amongst this group is she's she's like, no, we're all a community, we're the living. Why can't we all get a like? Why can't we work together and solve this problem? And yeah, and it's almost as if her sister's sacrifice in that moment opens her eyes to what's going on around her, where she's at to that point, she's just staying quiet and letting things happen around her and not having a voice. And there might be something else in that, like with her being a woman and not like while she is old and they should respect her, like she hasn't been able to have a voice in this dispute to this point, even though she's like the probably the oldest person in that train car and that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, they still don't respect her enough to like listen to what she's thinking about. Because you're right, when they're arguing, the more they they do a few cutaways when there's the big arguments are going on to her, and it, she almost like uh, has like looks of in, uh, like disgust or or like con- like contention with what's happening, and and looks away is and almost feels like it's not her place to say something. Well, on that last line before she gets up and goes to the door, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's it's something something to the effect of not for this or 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 something like like she looks at them arguing and she's and it's this statement that sounded to me as though she was saying like like this is not worthy of 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 this sacrifice yeah and it's interesting then um because it's obviously for the viewer it's an instant karma moment and everyone feels great in that moment that all these also there's this beautiful panning shot in slow motion where the bodies are flying that looks like some kind of renaissance or like michelangelo (laughs) painting of just people everywhere it was beautiful yeah i i agree and um and you know and and it's also sets up the one and only twist really in the whole movie is the the reveal that uh two people make it out of that car yeah 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 but um um the other thing i thought was interesting was that what um so there's the moment that when they so when our hero comes into the car and he punches the coo in the face and he's like we you could have or he says we could have saved them why didn't you let us in we could have saved them and so i thought that moment because of my read of the two paths scenario that that was him talking to his self himself a little bit and saying 
if if only you we we would have acted earlier we could have saved them and then when he is exiled to a more safer part of the train (laughs) yeah i guess um, (laughs) further along um there's that great shot where he walks by the coo and he looks at him and is continuing his path and and you know the easy to me metaphor reading of that is i've moved past who you are i've moved past that part of my life i've now entered this new space um and it's like a safer, more yeah. heroic area. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love that read of it because I didn't see that going through it. But now that you've said it, I just like I love thinking about the whole movie and with that that structure in mind. And I think it lines up really nicely. Yeah, and then ultimately, uh, he li- is literally confronted in a boss battle scenario at the, <laughs> at the end with that character. Which okay, we're here. I want to talk about that scene with you because I'm curious what you think about that. Um, which, first of all, obviously, like, there's been a setup that, like, some people seem to turn really, really quickly when they get bit. Others don't seem to, you know, because they set up a rule where the zombies don't know how to use the door. And then this guy opens a door and you're like, oh, he did the zombies get smarter. And then it's like, oh, no, he's just turned or hasn't hasn't quite turned yet. And then he starts talking about his mom and how his mom's waiting in in uh, Busan and he, they want to he's scared and he wants to get there. Um, and then they couple that sort of like he i wasn't sure if that was like a literal she's there now that's why i'm going there or if this was him thinking and flashing because then when when our our hero our main character gets turned the last thing we see before he falls off the train is like his flashbacks his memories of uh of his daughter and i was curious what your read on on that uh says about about the zombie virus and what's going on so the virus doesn't take hold of the infected until it kills them yeah is is so these are the as the movie has told me the rules and the way i've understood them it's like this so the first thing we see zombified is a deer and the deer is a as far as we know was a fine deer normal deer and then it gets hit and turns because it's broken neck instantly dead so it instantly turns and gets back up the and we the most we most of the zombies infected on the train are instant turn a lot of them are instant turns and the reason they're instant turns is because they're getting bit on the neck and it's like carotid arteries and they're bleeding out within minutes a minute and turning that quick that the the they're now zombies yeah 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 and then the re, but the reason we uh, the first girl doesn't turn really quick is because she it makes special mo- uh, mention that she puts on that tourniquet thing. So she's stopping the slowing infection, the spread. Yeah, slowing okay. the spread of the infection. And then, um, and then, oh, and that's a, so that's another thing about Korean culture is Korean culture, um, again, through the television shows I've <laughs> yes. watched, uh, they're very keep to yourself, even though that's kind of the opposite of that community I think, thing I said earlier. So you have like a group of associates and, uh, you know, and community and neighbors and family members. And so you're free, feel free to talk to them, but you don't interact with strangers. Uh, and you don't, if you see a stranger in this situation, like walking through the aisles, like looking at the very least drunk, but at the very most, like really messed up. Uh, but that's why, like, cause it kind of feels weird that no one got up to help her or be like, what's wrong with you? And like, what are all those like blues? She was subtle or quiet, you know, she fell in, she was making a bunch of noise and people just sort of didn't. 
Well, the falling in part does feel like a bit of a cheat to me. The fact that she gets by that guy when he happens to look the other way, I was like, okay, that's a bit of a... There's a little deus ex. Yeah, but it's that's fine. I'll buy it. Um, but I, it was more the whole her walking through like a crowded train car and no one seeing... Like, I feel like if... if um, we don't use a lot of tra- well. I guess sky the sky train here in Vancouver. If someone got, although I will but, say I've been on when homeless people have got on, and they've been in like uh, been coughing or 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 you know have some malady or something like that, and people give them space as opposed to being like, "Do you need help? Can yeah, I yeah. get you sh- to shelter?" I, or, I also think that there's a very know, different so. sort of view of trains in asia versus here because you know the transit system especially trains is an extremely predominant and primary method of travel because there's so many people you can't have cars everybody can't have cars like you do here uh traffic is way too brutal and the best way to get anywhere it's like that big city vibe yeah, same yeah. thing with new york or whatever right yeah um yeah i get but i get so okay, trains so, are more part of their oh for sure um but i guess yeah so but i was just trying to explain in my head why that no one helps her in that moment i, I guess. see yeah um but so yeah so that's why she has that that what feels like a mistake for how long it takes for her to turn compared to everybody else in the movie and they do show that tourniquet pretty prominently yeah to make that clear and so I feel like, which is a really interesting thing that she didn't like knew to do that and tried to do that and really kind of, anyway, I want to know her story, Yeah, uh, which it probably plays out in that, that animated, animated prequel, prequel that, that I didn't I watch. have been meaning to watch, but haven't yet. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, but so, okay, finally to him on that. So in that final scene, um, so he, he is infected, I presume, like, He's infected at some point in that chase where the conductor comes out and yeah, gets it looks eaten. like his leg gets bit when he's throwing the conductor down. It looks like so, he gets bit on the leg. Okay, so then it takes it takes the time because he's bit just like a bite on the leg. It takes however many minutes that is for him to s- slowly start turning in there, and because maybe he's not moving, he's sitting. You know, there's a little bit extra thing because when. Um, uh, when Man Dong Suk is blocking the door after he's been bit, he doesn't turn right away, and it even it's they start. It's not till they start biting him more that he turns quicker because he's like dying mm-hmm. quicker. But he, it seems like he had they not shattered through the glass, he could have held that door a little while longer without turning because it was a hand bite, and that'll take a while for the infection yeah. to yeah, yeah. get into your system and kill you. And then. Um, I, I don't think it's uh, his mom is alive and waiting for him in in no you think that's Busan. A... I think he is reverting to a childlike state. I think he's reverting to a place where um, because he is because he he is a scared little boy through the whole movie, and it's like in the mask <laughs> where the mask brings out who you are on the inside. Yeah uh th- this this your final moments it brings out who you really are which and would then say that that final piece where he sees his, he's really a f- doting father is that's yeah. who he truly is inside and, and that's for whatever societal cultural thing has driven him to be a, a hard-working absent father he that's what he wants to be i guess well yeah so that's what he became but that's not who he w- was and that's why he is conflicted in the start mm-hmm. of the movie because who he is and who he who he is inside aren't the same aren't matching up yeah, so yeah. he has that inner conflict already but yeah so th- that anyways that's how i read that and and so the the 
the COO turning is probably the weirdest, longest one. Yeah, but, and and I get why. I mean, it's it's there for a purpose, and it's there to have that like sort of engagement interaction and a bit of like final tension. I do think it's really cool that he doesn't get bit saving his daughter. He gets bit saving the pregnant woman. Yeah. Which I think is very intentional. And because very, saving because his daughter is something he's already doing. He's already trying to yeah. do, and it's something he's been doing the whole movie. So the new thing, putting his hand into a zombie's mouth to stop the zombie from biting the pregnant woman, is uh, something his character wouldn't have done at the start of the movie. I do also find that whole dynamic between the three of them interesting, too, uh, in the sense that like his daughter throughout the movie seems to become quickly very close with that couple and like when after ma dong suk's character has died and it's just uh the daughter and the and the wife left they're like she's hugging her like a mother while while uh gong yu's character's trying to like argue and like fight for there to stay so there's this sort of interesting familial bond almost as though like this this woman was taking on a a replacement mother sort of figure which I guess helps in the sense that we, I think we're meant to believe that her mother is dead. Yeah. That so, when he calls and her phone's off, that was in my head, that was the film telling me that they're yeah, dead. Yeah. So then this, this new sort of mother figure kind of almost does become that in a lot of ways. And so then it's not just him helping other people too, but it's also him like redeeming himself in the way that he kind of treated his wife and didn't like take care of his wife, but is now trying to do that for this surrogate mother figure. That Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, but, and I think also that's, that is a trope that we see in these disaster movies. Not that this is a disaster, but like apocalyptic scenario movies, yeah. end of times movies is that like in these little communities that form, there are maternal and paternal figures that youngsters will cuddle, cuddle up to and, and looking for that Human relationship. Connection. Yeah, that relationship. Yeah. And and also the kid, Suan Kim, uh, I forget what movie we did on here where I mentioned that the child actor performance was one of the best I'd ever seen. Um, it's one of the other 11 episodes we've yeah, done. Yeah. I... Um, but this is also one of the best performances like, I've ever seen. Really, really powerful stuff from this kid. Because she's, she feels like a child, and then she doesn't feel like too precocious, but then she also seems to have this understanding of like the subtleties of a relationship a little bit. And like to understand that her mom left because her dad's a workaholic. I, I, and knowing how to read and play that out well well uh, yeah and knowing how to how to yeah put words to that is like unless it's you know she's parroting things her mom was saying or whatever but it felt it just feels really uh, i don't know it felt really great it It felt felt really authentic uh, yeah and authentic and there's there's this this trap that i think some child actors fall into where they are very self-aware that they're acting as a kid and trying to be what a kid what they think a kid is supposed to be but I didn't get that sense at all. It was just, she was just, she was a character and she was like, this is who I am and what my life experience is. And in that final scene where she's in the tunnel holding the the pregnant woman's hand and singing the song to her dad and crying, she's walking in a like staggeredly exhausted way along with this woman. She's crying and she's singing 
I mean that like that is a that is a mouthful for any actor to handle, and it and she's doing all that in this, and I don't know what her age is, but anyway, she's a she was she blew me away. She was yep. outstanding, yep. and again, kind of like what I said about the cinematography. Part of what blew me away is she didn't stand out. It, like it didn't. Well, she stood out in a good way at parts, but she never stood out. Like I wasn't like ugh. Yeah, like, the, here's a kid doing a kid thing, and I have to forgive them because they're a kid. Yeah. She was just a strong part, and so I the world never had to break down, and I never had to like, which sometimes you have to do with kid actors is like that fourth wall breaks for a second where you realize it's a kid acting again, and you're not engrossed in the story, and you quickly because you're an adult, but you're put yourself past it, and then you can sometimes get back into the story. Sometimes you can't. Yeah, and yeah. uh and but she never pushed me outside of the narrative at all i no. felt i felt totally engrossed and her performance was was uh really outstanding yeah it was a lot of really outstanding performances by the main cast overall but hers especially really really stood out to me for sure um closing thoughts um well, first, I want to say that this plays out almost in real time because while do- looking on YouTube and other places, uh, well, YouTube, but uh, while doing research, um, there is a video of a train that goes from Seoul to Pusan, and it's the footage, like there's a camera in the front of the train, and you can watch just the train do the whole thing with all its stops, and it's two hours and 31 minutes. Oh, really? The video. Oh, wow. <laughs> also, that's that's a pretty impressive, like, train speed for them to be able to get from one corner of the country to the other in two and a half hours yeah um and that's with stop like yeah with stops and stuff and that plays out in real time i'm pretty sure so like uh, the video it's like just because it you slowly it slowly starts as you're leaving the station and then it's like yeah uh so, so that's super cool yeah very cool and so this movie is what about a two-hour movie it's two hours yeah. and then there's a 20 25 minutes 30 minutes at the start that's not train related and so then it almost falls into real time with a few little time jumps which you do feel they do do in the movie where they yeah, yeah. and um yeah so uh, but i thought that was kind of a cool element to this movie that this kind of plays in real time yeah i like that i uh, i didn't uh I didn't really pay attention to it at the time, but I think I could kind of feel it. Like they talk about it in the beginning, like, oh, it's like only an hour or whatever. I don't need any snacks or something. And, and so you kind of feel like you're there for the whole ride. Yeah. Cause, cause you know, it's going to be a, sh- well, you're, it indicates that it's going to be short ish because he's planning to bring his daughter there, drop it off with the mother and return for the work day. Be back by lunch kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the yeah, and it, and I guess the other reason I like that it plays out in somewhat real time and feels somewhat like it could be the time frame of this movie is because I only found that out by watching or by seeing that on YouTube. But it really bugs me when when people assume because you're not from there, the geography doesn't matter. Uh, like it goes, oh well, only a small portion of the population will understand this geography mistake. And there's a there's a movie, an Ethan Hawke and Angelina Jolie movie that's set in Canada, or a portion oh, of it is no. set in Canada called Taking Lives. And uh, someone gets on a train in like in New Brunswick or in Quebec and is going to New Brunswick and is going to be there in four hours or something like that. And and from Montreal and like I don't even think you can get out of. <laughs> I mean, you'll be out of Montreal, but like you're I don't, nowhere. I don't know you can get not, out of Quebec. In you four can't hours. get out of Quebec yeah. in four hours on a train, and certainly not to any major city in New Brunswick. 
and um and so i don't uh, like but it was it was such a little thing but it was like it was a throwaway line anyway and it bugged me so much watching it because i was like i i assume someone who did wrote the script did the research and probably wrote like 10 hours or whatever but then a note from like some studio head was like well 10 hours that doesn't feel like a ton of time it feels like you could get a helicopter or get a plane to get there by the 10 hours so we want this to feel like they have you know the and so there was some studio head that made some decision for some story reason why that number needed to be smaller but then it to me then it that is a it's disrespectful to like every canadian or anybody that has any idea of canadian geography i i i would i would agree i i i get pretty pretty like not necessarily nitpicky but like if you're gonna set something somewhere you know do the research and and express it properly and i kind of wonder like well if that's a an audience thing because they're like he's catering it to koreans so obviously he's gonna keep it like realistic for koreans but like I guess American audiences don't have a tendency to know much about other places. No, for so. sure. And and you had mentioned earlier that he had to take special caution with the zombies for a Korean audience to buy it. So the fact that they're more discerning about this stuff is probably also like it never. I don't think it was ever sold that this plays in real time or anything. But it no, like, no. But it, it's kind. Of, it's just. I just found it cool that it did, and it also got a chance for me to bring up my my gripe from an old movie that there no one go. saw or cares about. <laughs> um, but uh, but it was just because it was one of those things. Not to keep harping on yeah, about yeah. it, but it's just one of those things that I was like, okay, so if you want a shorter time to- amount of time, then. Pick a different city that he's going to. Like, why is he going to New Brunswick? Montreal to Moncton, I think, is what it was. Is like that's like a ten, ten or eleven hour train ride, as far as I know, in Canada. Even though, like in Europe, with high speed trains, that would be, you know, significantly shorter. But we don't two and a half hours, really. (laughs) But um, but yeah, so it's it's a because I've taken that train ride too, and it's a long train ride. But because the other thing is the city the destination city this is the more egregious thing didn't matter he was just escaping so if you wanted wow. him to escape and have a four-hour train ride then pick somewhere that's four hours from montreal that's like awkward to get to or whatever and that's where he's going and Rather oh than like... uh, he's going to val d'or or something and like oh there's a small uh there's a bunch of uh airports there that are a small airstrip there that he can get out of he can go anywhere from there or whatever you know what i mean it's like one more line of dialogue or something to explain this thing and then you're then you don't have me 15 (laughs) 20 years later on a podcast talking for five minutes about something no one cares about uh but you know what I think the uh, the small informs the larger, which is that this is a general pet peeve that uh, is bothersome to a lot of people. I think. And, I, I think so, and and, and and yeah, and for that reason, I I like, and I assume that that middle. I didn't do the research, but I assume that train station that they stop at is one of the stations you would stop at on the way. I actually I actually mapped it out after, not even because oh, yeah. I was watching this podcast, but just because I was like super curious i had no intention of bringing it up but like i was like i'm just curious where because it's like it's going to busan so where's it coming from and i was like okay well it's coming from seoul so then i like googled each of the train stations on the map to just see like what route they would have followed and things and just i was like oh that's cool through there and through there and through there and is it fairly straight is it yeah for the most part it's just like top 
northwest corner to bottom southeast corner and it kind of goes through like three main districts on the way through or three main like regions and each one has their like big stop i will say that so i didn't watch that two and a half hour live feed of the train thing the real life one um but i scrubbed through it a bit and there you're in open fields for the majority of that two and a half hours yeah yeah yeah. very rarely and then like uh, and even the places that were like little hubs or whatever um only one of them looked really developed so i don't know if the train stations are a little bit outside of towns or something i I, the the way it looked and based on the names when i googled the names it was like there's regions that are uh, looked like they were like larger cities that each one would it would stop in a city but it would be like like an airport sense where you'd come into the city and you'd get off that station and then you'd like take a cab or a bus or whatever to get where you wanted to go right but it's just like a train that gets you to the city right yeah cool yeah yeah i mean i guess as far as closing thoughts for me i thought it was a great film it was it was a really cool combination of like uh, a a strong and powerful character story that happens to also have a lot of great zombie action in it uh, some really cool special effects, a lot of really fantastic um, technical work with like they had like at some points like green screens mounted on trains that were like moving through stations and like a lot of like the actors looked like they were doing kind of their own stunts jumping on and off trains and tackling zombies and things and like it just looks like there was a lot of like earnest and interested effort put into making it and you can really see it in the final product. I, th- I felt like for the most part, there's a few shots that stood out as like CG zombie stuff. Yeah, like the zombies waterfalls out of the out of the windows all the time and stuff. Um, you can tell. But. And the the zombie uh, caboose that <laughs> attaches itself to the tra- to the engine. That was one thing I actually wanted to say. That was that uh, I thought there was a couple of really good moments. I don't know if it was intentional, but it felt kind of like a little bit of intentional comic relief every now and again. Um, and that like zombie caboose was one of those moments where I'm like, it's terrifying when they're all in a horde, but then they start piling on each other and it sort of just gets funny for a bit where they're just like being dragged behind it. Uh, like I didn't, I didn't find that funny, but I did find a lot of humor in this movie. Um, but yeah, there, the, the other CG one that really stuck out as CG was one of the, the first big zombie waves on the train car. There's like one crawling on the ceiling or something. Yeah, but I that felt a little outside of the norm for the rest of the film. It did. And in a lot of movies when I see really like off-putting CG like that, it sort of bothers me, but I actually really liked the way it looked in this when when you have those moments like the the zombie flood um both coming out of windows and down that train and whatever and I think part of it uh part of maybe why I liked it is is because I kind of like they weren't trying to necessarily hide it per se. Like they weren't trying to be like, "Ooh, look at this super hyper realistic thing." There's just these moments where his animation background seems to come in and you get this like moldable blob that feels like it could have been out of Akira or something. And and so I sort of like, I don't know, I loved I loved the way that it kind of was was integrated. Oh, that's interesting because I was about to say that I thought they cut around it quickly enough that I didn't it didn't I also didn't hate it. Like it, I but it stuck out to me a little bit in the it same way stuck that out. in the same way that like if I hear obvious ADR that sticks out to me. Yeah, yeah, it stood um, out, but like it wasn't the kind of standing out where I saw it and was like, "Oh, that makes me grimace." It was just sort of like I looked at it and I was like, "It doesn't look like they did that for real, but it doesn't bother me because it does what it needs to do. And it felt, I don't know. 
like a massive zone. I don't know. I liked it. I liked it. And um, going to the point you made very, very early on in this podcast about how zombies are the threat they are because they are us with um, civility removed, perhaps. Um, is that is that the this movie ends with what I feel like is a trope in zombie movies, which is a military down the scope looking at people who are human but not knowing whether they're human and, and they're that, tired and staggering so like oh they could be zombies yeah and and that but also that um it's just a matter of like a slight amount of distance is is the veil between uh whether whether they're friend or foe and whether they're human or not and there's maybe a metaphor in the whole idea of of the closer we are the more we can be together and human together and that kind of thing. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a hundred percent true. I think that's certainly there and, and something that I really liked about the movie. So Ryan, is this a movie that you would rewatch? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I watched it through once and I remember when it went off of Netflix, I was kind of bummed cause I had been meaning to get back to it. Um, and so this was a, this was a nice opportunity to do that, but I would definitely think that it's rewatchable. Yeah, same for me. Um, this would be one that, uh, but in the same way that, like, for the same reasons, I would rewatch an action movie. Like, I don't know that I would rewatch this for the the subtextual story no. stuff and all that. Like, I, I would watch it for the fun and the action and the humor and like the just like I had a good feeling at the end of this, which is weird because it's a sad, like, somewhat a somber ending. But like I just when it finished, I was just like, "Well done, lads!" Like, yeah, yeah. you knocked that one out of the park. <laughs> like, all right. So yeah, I would rewatch it for that mood. But it would be it like for me, it would be perhaps more rare than you on a rewatch. Um, but again, because it's not that horrific and it's more actiony. Yeah, like it'll probably sneak into a rotation where I'll watch it every few years or something until something of its similar ilk takes over its place yeah um but yeah it's a it's a strong film what about um uh people like do you have to be in a mood did you have to be in a mood to watch this no i don't think so i uh it's it's light enough that you don't need to like pay attention to the whole thing if you're the kind of person who likes to put stuff on in the background it's got enough meat and bones to it that if you wanted to really focus on it you can it's not a big horror movie so it's not like you're gonna be worried about um showing it to people who can't handle that and it's not like there's a ton of cra- like it's a very sort of like safe recommendation that it's a like good story good characters well-made movie that doesn't pose any obstacles to it being watched and to your point as like a background movie or or like a one you have to you only have to pay attention to a little um, being that it's foreign language there you would you'll definitely miss more but I think the scope of the film still works and I think the action sequences and the and the the visuals tell the story without the dialogue yeah, pretty well like you'll you'll miss a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on in this podcast about the subtext and everything um, but uh, but it's still I think the metaphors play out visually like you're saying as well and and uh, and so yeah, um, but for mood, yeah, for me, I I don't think you, I don't know that there would I would be in a good or bad mood would affect me watching this. I would watch it any time. I think. Uh, what about uh, now that you like you mentioned it's off of Netflix? Um, would you tell someone to seek it out on some other platform to find it, or 
is this a movie that's maybe not that seminal and if they watch it whatever i mean i think my answer is going to be what it always is which is that it depends um i think that every movie has a scenario in which i think that it would be value extremely valuable for someone to seek out a difficult to find sort of scenario um i think that if you're the kind of person who really loves zombie movies say this is a, a really good movie to add to your repertoire of stuff you have seen and know about i think if you're the kind of person who's interested in foreign films and wants to see how other people uh, approach the same kind of ideas i think it's a really valuable film to watch um but outside of that, I mean, I think that it's good and it's worth tracking down, but it's also not like a hundred percent necessary. Yeah, I'll say that had I not like had you not brought it up for this, I probably wouldn't have ever seen this movie. I I was aware of it. I had heard the name a lot. People had recommended it to me. Um, but yeah, generally, if I'm in the mood for an action thing, I'll then go watch more you know guys with guns action yeah. movie which currently for those who are interested the only place i know that you can you can stream it is on shutter um which is like a specific horror movie streaming app uh where or movies and shows but like it's specific to um hor the horror genre um is the only place i can find where you can watch it it used to be on netflix it's gone it i think it was on prime but now that it's on shutter it's on that like oh if you have prime you can link it with shutter and then it's all the same or whatever um so it is a little bit more difficult to track down if you don't want to get a new subscription shutter shutter is a clever name for a horror cinematic thing because of the shutter speed and yeah but also, also shutter. shutter yeah yeah I, I, it's spelt differently but it's uh it's spelt like the phonetically the, similar. The, uh, biological shutter oh but, is it oh, yeah. okay i also um first uh, similarly i think i would tell um horror fans uh that this is a uh, or uh, and action fans for that matter that this is this is one that they should check out if they if they want a good one and they hadn't seen it but again um, i don't think it's seminal it's a seminal work by any means i don't think this is on going to be on any of my well, I guess it's on my top genre specific lists, but I, I don't think it would be on an overall top list for me. But yeah, but I but as I've mentioned numerous times for this movie, I did like it. I liked it a lot. So yeah. What would you uh, give it rating wise? What would I give this? I would give this a uh, six helicopters full of zombies <laughs> on a found footage tape. That helicopter scene was pretty solid. The zombies hanging off of it, you know. Yeah, yeah and also that—that that is another little error that I found uh, thought of because that's that that was found footage. Yeah, and it was on whatever Korean YouTube or whatever, um, some streaming platform. Who uploaded it? It looked like it was part of a news broadcast, and that somebody had submitted it to a news. But who outlet. submitted it? Because that guy, the. The film ends with a zombie mouth coming at the camera. Maybe it was a live stream. <laughs> well, so so that's what I was. I was like, okay, so maybe it's a like there someone was doing a on location thing, and that happened. But it felt like they were. It set up that it was youth kids filming their skateboarding buddies in a parking lot. Or could whatever. have been a live stream of them filming their. Okay, fair in the enough. Park. <laughs> then that, that that's the solve there. But there anyways, uh, so what did I say? Six, Six helicopters of full of uh potentially falling zombies oh fair i uh that that's a pretty solid rating i i think similarly i'd probably have to go with 
six is good. Maybe seven or eight of the, uh, like, a horde of zombie cabooses, you know? Like, imagine you've got seven or eight of those trains going down the tracks, and each one of them has, like, a pyramid of zombies dragging behind it kind of thing. In know? a shiny time station site thing with yeah. Thomas and all the different tra- <laughs> tanks, and they all have zombie hordes coming yes. into the station. I Especially if it's Thomas the train engine. Yeah, yeah. Tank, tank, tank engine? engine? Tank engine? I don't know. What, what, what are kids shows? <laughs> and on that note, there have been spoilers in this episode, so if you uh, want to watch this movie without it being spoiled, make sure you check it out before you check out the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Cinematics Podcast and on Twitter at Cinematics Cast. And uh, until next time, thank you guys very much for watching. Bye. Bye.